0: You're listening to episode 41 with Steve Dranksholt, sales leader for Brown and Caldwell in Boise, Idaho. This episode is powered by Rogue Water, the public communications company founded by yours truly, the H2 Duo.
1: Hi, I'm George Hawkins, past CEO of DC Water, founder of Moonshot, the professor of practice at American University. This is a podcast that helps you communicate the value of water. and What's more important than that? It's Water in Real Life with my friends, the H2 duo, Stephanie Zavala and Arion Shipley.
2: Sometimes we get hung up on like, oh, I want to be the CEO of this company, or I want to be the leader of this group, or, or have all these titles in mind. I want YPs to focus on impact, not on titles. I really, I think the only place for titles is to impress your mom.
0: It's going to be pretty obvious from the get-go that we had a ton of fun recording this episode with Steve. You know, this This felt like the perfect interview to drop on the heels of our chat with industry thought leader, George Hawkins, because Steve truly represents the next generation of water leaders that will use their passion and involvement to truly move this industry forward. Please, please, please share this with any young professionals in our industry. There is so much to gain from the insight he gives us about the value in being involved and really the diversity of all of our water journey stories. Best of all, we really enjoyed Steve's mindset, whether it's living his core values or competing on ideas and not people or how we should measure ourselves based on impact and not our titles. These are incredibly important messages for all of us to hear and to remember, regardless of our place or tenure in this industry. You know, we're all doing the work that matters in our respective corners, and the way we work together is what truly makes this industry special and one of a kind. So without further ado, let's get to the show. Steve Drangshold is an infrastructure market sales leader with Brown and Caldwell in Boise, Idaho. He has a background working both as a consultant and for a public utility in the Pacific Northwest. Steve's an engineer and project manager with a knack for bringing strong teams together to solve complex problems for communities dealing with intense wet weather and dense urban environments. His innovative and disciplined approach has led to reductions in CSOs and SSOs throughout the Puget Sound in Washington State. Steve is Pacific Northwest. West through and through, having grown up in the Portland, Oregon area, attending the University of Washington and beginning his career in Seattle. He has a strong passion for water and wastewater and is heavily involved with the Water Environment Federation and his member association, the Pacific Northwest Clean Water Association. Outside his day job, he enjoys cycling, paddleboarding, and spending time around the Boise River. So thanks so much for being here with us today, Steve. Hey, thanks for having me. We're and, excited. and I have to um, point out, even though he told us that we're only allowed to mention this once, but if you've listened to any of the previous episodes, this is the one and only Dragon, Dragon Shots. Shots. So, but we promised that, you know, since he is representing Brown and Caldwell, we keep it professional, but this is it. This is him.
2: Well, I felt like I had to come on here and set the record straight a little <laughs> okay. bit, so.
1: Well, I'm glad that. You are, because I mean, when I saw this badge of this new guy, like standing in front of me, I was like, I don't know how to say his name, but it looks like dragon shots. And it literally has stuck ever since. Yeah. Yeah. It's legit. Um, all right. So
0: it is your fault. So you're a water in life, water in real life listener, shout out. And so you already know what question is coming next. So tell us your water story. How did a kid from Beaverton end up in the best industry on the planet?
2: Yeah. Well, you know, again, thanks for, uh, thanks for letting me come on and, um, you can, you can still say dragon shots. It's okay. I won't, uh, (laughs) I won't take it too seriously. Um, I, uh, well, so as you said, you know, I went to the university of Washington and, um, grew up in Portland area. So kind of all Pacific Northwest in there when I was, uh, looking for schools, I was looking for an engineering school and, um, there's only a, a few in Oregon that would, um, kind of fit what I wanted. And, Um, But so the UW did, and I'm super happy today the Huskies are playing for the Pac-12 Championship, so I got to root for my Huskies. We'll let you have that. Yeah, for my Huskies. uh, hopefully, when this comes out, they will have already won, and then have a uh, you know won the Rose Bowl too. So, Ooh,
0: okay, um, dream big.
2: <laughs> dream big. That's right. High hopes. Um, but I uh, I wanted to do chemical engineering, um, and I thought, wow, I'm gonna I'm gonna go to the UW, and I'm gonna be a chemical engineer. And I realized very quickly I had no idea uh, what that was at all. <laughs> um, <laughs> I thought it was something very different than it really was. Um, but I did stick through it. Um, I didn't sleep a lot for a couple of years, and and. Anybody who's a chemical engineer will uh, will recall those years of of very little sleep and a lot of math and chemistry. Um, And then when I finally learned what a chemical engineer does, uh, I realized there was like four jobs. Um, (laughs) You could get a job in uh, oil and gas um, in the middle of Bakersfield or on an oil rig. Uh, You could get a job in pharmaceutical. Uh, You could work in a semiconductor uh, fab or you could go work for the Department of Defense. Uh, And and none of those sounded appealing to me. None of them sounded like I was gonna be really helping uh, as many people as I wanted to and kind of living out the values that I appreciated. And so um, I was talking with my roommate at the time and he was a civil engineer at UW and said, hey, why don't you you go look at civil engineering? I think you'd like that a lot better. Um, And I totally fell in love with water uh, when I was there. Um, I started learning about water, wastewater type process work. Uh, which is kind of what everybody in college learns about i mean you don't really get a chance to learn about all the other aspects
0: i wouldn't say that everyone in college learns about that
2: well i would say everyone who does civil engineering or environmental engineering that's what you learn about about wastewater process you don't learn that class sewers you don't learn about communications you don't learn about um, working with the public or giving a presentation you learn about uh, very technical things um, and so when I was looking to graduate, I was trying to figure out, well, what kind of now what kind of job am I going to find? And uh, I got an opportunity to intern at a consulting firm, uh, which was really awesome. Um, it was a great experience. I spent a whole summer doing construction support at a wastewater treatment plant. I had never been to a wastewater treatment plant, even though I had, quote unquote, studied them. Um, and so I got to see all the sights and sounds and smells and... Uh, hands-on things that the guys there were doing and I loved it. I spent that whole summer um, up at a treatment plant in Mount Vernon, Washington. uh, And it was really fun to see um, kind of all the things that could be as a part of of consulting. And so after I graduated, um, I got hired on by that firm. And uh, at the time, I was was dead set on, I'm gonna do wastewater process. This is what I'm gonna do. but that wasn't really where my career led me. I ended up doing more work in collection systems. So I I learned to love sewers. I guess I love sewers. They're so much fun. You're like
0: a Teenage and, Mutant Ninja Turtle.
2: That's right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, I, I didn't ever live in the sewer like a Ninja Turtle, but I, uh, <laughs> I, I did spend an awful lot of time thinking about um, where sewers were going, uh, how they flowed, um, when they backed up, all those types of things. And... Um, And I stayed at that firm for about four years. It was a really, it was a great experience. I learned a ton. I had a really awesome mentor there who taught me a lot about CSO work. Um, Shout out to Eric Bergstrom. He was a huge mentor for me uh, at the time. And um, basically everything I know, I learned from him. Um, And he was the one who actually said, hey, you should should do a paper. You should get involved in Water Environment Federation or WEF and, Mm And Pacific Northwest Clean Water Association, which um, we affectionately just use lots of acronyms, so it's it's PNcwa. Um, and he was the one that really got me started in getting involved. Um, and from there, uh, well, I don't. It's a it's probably a longer story than you're ready for. But I uh, <laughs> I started getting a lot. I was presenting our papers, and then got um, into working on committees and got on the board, and uh, it was a really exciting time for me. Um, and then at some point in my career. Um, I was looking for a little bit of a change, and I had started a a family and was ready to maybe slow down on the consulting side a little bit for a a bit. And I got an opportunity to go work at a public utility. I went to work for Seattle Public Utilities. Um, I had a couple of friends there who kind of recruited me over and um, asked if I wanted to lead projects and kind of take the next step in my career. Um, And so I led CSO projects for a few years um, at the utility and also got an opportunity to lead the the CMOM program, which is, uh, CMOM is Capacity Management Operation and Maintenance Program, uh, really focused on SSO uh, reduction, so sanitary sewer overflows. Um, And obviously, you know, at Seattle, we have a lot of wet weather. Seattle's kind of known for rain. Is it? it? Yeah, a little, it gets a little rain. It's more like a lot of rain for a long period of time.
0: (laughs) Okay, so always raining.
2: It's it's often raining, yeah. yeah. Um, but it was a great utility work where I worked for so many um, really inspiring people who were doing amazing things for the community and for the city, and I learned a ton uh, being there. Um, and then after a few years of, of working for utility, I decided I, I really wanted to go back into consulting, and I moved to Boise and um, kind of transformed my career from more engineer, project manager, into more business development side. So Cool. I mean I guess that's that's kind of my water story. I I didn't follow maybe a traditional path that most people follow,
0: but I uh, know but there is no traditional path in the water industry, I don't think. Maybe for like an engineer but even some of them we found that it just kind of it
1: happens.
0: Yeah, sometimes you don't well most times you don't choose water it chooses you. Yeah, so. I, think that's oh, I definitely is. feel that way. Hashtag yeah. #moana Hashtag #moana Um <laughs> <laughs> so if you listened to our uh Weftech 20, Seven, 27, 27, no, I know, but I'm like, I can't remember what year we're in, 2018's uh, um, recap episode 27. You already know this story, but we actually met you outside of the opening session at WebTech this year. And our lives have never been the same and you instantly started connecting us with people and you already had our pitch nailed and I mean, you
1: nailed it better than we did. Yeah. So that was great. Yeah. For
0: that. And like five minutes within five minutes of meeting yeah. us. So you're something of a WEF networking expert. That is your official title we have given you. Um, so tell us about your involvement with WEF and why you're such a fan of that organization.
2: Um, well, you guys are too kind. Um, first of all, I think you guys are super Twitter famous. So I was more <laughs> shocked to meet you than, than you were probably to meet me. So um, it was really cool, um, actually, to, to just run into um, people I had never met and was able to connect with really fast. Um, and I think that's the best part about WEF, really. I mean, WEF is a family. Yeah. And that's usually the thing that people um, will share most frequently when they talk about WEF. Um, and so, you know, just like with my own family, I want to introduce uh, my new friends to my family and have everybody be part of this family. I'm, you know, hashtag includer. Right. And I can't help um, but want everybody to love WEF the way that I do. And so I was really happy to introduce, um, you know, some new people because I think that was your first time at WEF Tech, right? And maybe even your first WEF event, right?
0: Uh, yes. yes. all
2: the above. Yes. Yeah. And I mean, that's, that's pretty typical. I mean, somebody had to do that for me at some point too. Somebody had to um, introduce me to their friends and bring me into the family. And so um, I think it's something we all can do for one another. And so it was really, it was a great opportunity to be able to do that. Um, and you know, the, the reason I'm such a fan of WEF and and I'm so engaged is um, a friend of mine actually, she lives here in Boise, Haley Falconer, uh, works for the city of Boise. She introduced me to WEF many, many years ago and she's kind of a, she's the OG of the WEFYPs. I mean, every WEFYP um, really knows who Haley is because she's, she laid a foundation for a lot of us to be a part of.
1: Sounds like we um, need to meet Haley. Uh,
2: yeah, absolutely. I think everyone should meet Haley. Haley, really?
1: if you're listening, we, <laughs> hit you <up> <laughs> we got
0: you in our sides, girl.
2: <laughs> uh, yeah, but she introduced me and she uh, at one point was like, hey, um, I know you've been given some papers and I know you're kind of engaged in this, you know, PNCWA thing, but you should just, you should just lead the YP group. I think that's what you should do. Um, and that really launched me into a lot more leadership opportunities um, and to be more involved. And so I've been involved in WEF for over 10 years now um, in my career, which, um, you know, I'm, I'm still, I guess, technically a young professional, but
0: uh, yes, I like you to, are.
2: <laughs> I like to think that maybe I'm I'm becoming more of a seasoned one, but I've been involved with WEF and I just had so many incredible opportunities. I started present, like I said, I started presenting at local conferences, which is how a lot of people start. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I was asked to lead the local young professionals group, which at the time, I think it was just me and my buddy and we would go out for happy hour um, and we would call it our, our YP meeting. Um, and we've grown that
0: <laughs> We have those, they're called work meetings, w- yeah, o- Safety R-C. meetings. Yeah. I've
2: I've heard them called safety meetings, many yes. things. Um, and uh, we had a vision for what could be. I mean, our, our PNCWA covers three region or three states: um, Oregon, Washington, Idaho. Um, and it's you know it's a pretty big land area. There's you know eight hours between each of the major cities there mm-hmm. between Seattle and Boise and Boise and Portland. So
1: you're basically like Texas. Yeah, uh, <laughs> <in> three states. <laughs>
2: I mean, I don't I don't think people from Texas would say we're basically like Texas, but I mean, yeah, I mean eight
1: hour drive. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Oh uh, yeah. Just come to El Paso. Sure. It's like twelve hours from here. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so we had a lot of distance. And so I mean, one of the things that we really wanted to do was was try and have more connection between those places. Mm-hmm. And we didn't know how to do that other than uh, we really knew how to make friends. And so we grew that YP group from just two or three of us to now I think it's over 30 and it's still yeah. going. And I think that's one of the things that I'm most proud of is mm-hmm. uh, to be able to have started something or restarted something actually in this case, um, but to have it live on way beyond uh, my involvement. in sure. it. I mean, my, my leadership of that was many, many years ago, um, but to have it continue to grow and to continue to flourish and to see those folks taking their opportunities to lead in different ways, uh, it's just fantastic. And it's something that I think I'm, I'm really proud of in my career. Um, and after after serving in that role, I got the opportunity to be on uh, the board for PNCWA. So I served as treasurer, which uh, anybody who's served as a treasurer in a nonprofit is is a challenging experience. Uh, I you know I'm not an accountant by trade. I know how to re- use a spreadsheet, but that's a that's about all I knew at the time about how to make a budget. Um, and uh, so it's pretty it's pretty um, amazing that they gave me that opportunity to do that. And Uh, So I served as treasurer on the board for four years. And I think that was really a valuable experience because I really got to know people then. Right. I mean, you're, you're present at a lot more meetings. You're going to a lot more uh, WEF events. You're getting to know people all around the country and, you know, even around the world in some cases. Um, And so I think there's like really like three or four things that I, I got out of that experience or, or I'm still getting out of the experience of being on the board, um, which is uh, you know, as a as a member of a board, you can go to these meetings called the WEF Member Exchange member exchange meetings, excuse me. Mm-hmm. Um, they're known as WEF Maxes. And they're they're like the 1% of the 1% who are committed to WEF. I mean, uh-huh. these are people who are pouring hours and hours and hours of their time, their personal time most of the time, into advancing the, the goals that WEF has. Mm-hmm. And so they're like a two or three day meeting that you get together. Um, and you spend a really close-knit time with 30 people and get to know them really well. And, and having been on the board for so many years, you start to see the same people over and over when you go to these yeah. meetings. And so um, you do feel like it's like a family reunion every time you go to one. And I think it's probably the best thing, um, honestly, that WEF does. I mean, I know most people will go to their member association conferences or they go to uh, WEF Tech or they go to UMC or some of these specialty conferences. But these small meetings for WEFMAX are, are one of the most valuable experiences I've had in terms of getting to know other people and getting more leadership opportunities at WEF, actually. Yeah. Um, and so I've obviously, you know, I've attended mid, uh, uh, WEF Tech and presented there as well. Um, there's another meeting that WEF has called WEF Midyear. That's where the planning for WEF Tech happens. But it's also where all the committees, the national committees meet. Mm-hmm. And so it's just another opportunity to network with folks at WEF and get to know them. Um, And so you can see, uh, you know, just from the things I'm sharing, like, this is why I'm so passionate about, I'm passionate about the people that WEF um, has as a part of us, right? I mean, our mission is really important, right? To educate the public and educate um, the world on clean water. Um, But it's also it's about the people, if the people weren't great, um, you know, that mission would be a lot harder to to try and move forward with. Um, And so through just all these levels of engagement that I've had with WEF. I've gotten to know incredible YPs. I've gotten to know, or I've gotten to do a bunch of service projects through um, something called Waterpalooza, as well as the, the community service project we do at WEF Tech. Um, and it's just, it's full of opportunities. And that's what I love about WEF. And everybody's ready for you to stand up and say yes. You know, I don't, I don't think very many people
1: say no to anything. That's um, definitely and, the feeling we got when we were there. Oh, yeah,
0: 100%. Yeah. yeah, and I love that Brown and Caldwell, shout out to them, that they are cool enough to, like, be cool with you being so involved in it. You know, it's important to have a lot of different voices in those organizations. And so I have a lot of respect for companies and cities and utilities or whatever who let their people be involved in that way. So shout out yeah, to and
2: that, Yeah, I mean, you know, certainly my employer um, – you know, it has really supported me. And, and all my employers have actually really supported me through that. Um, and I think the value that hopefully they feel like they're getting back from that investment in me, um, you know, is magnified. And I, and I really do appreciate it um, on a personal level, but also on a professional level. I think I've learned to be a better speaker. I've learned to be a, well, hopefully a better speaker. I've hopefully learned to be a better communicator. Uh, hopefully I collaborate better with people. Sure. Um, Hopefully I listen better, all those things. And, you know, learn how to network and have fun too. I mean, it's not its not all super serious the whole time. It's right. a lot of fun. It's a lot of engagement. Um, and so, you know, I think if you're given an opportunity to be involved in WEF or other professional associations, you're given an opportunity to do leadership activities, just say yes. And then then you have to figure out how to make it happen, you know? Yeah. You just say yes and then solve it after that. Don't try and solve it before you say yes. So,
1: mm-hmm. Well, you touched on your background a little bit um, and you mentioned your work as during the utility um, being sandwiched between those two consulting gigs. How did uh, your time at a utility change the way um, you think and the way you view the work we do as water professionals?
2: Yeah. um, Well, one thing I think is there, there should be a program that makes people who are engineers go work, um, Ooh, at a yeah. consulting firm and then at a utility.
1: Yeah. Yes. Uh, I
2: you should have to put in like five years at both because, uh, the things that I learned in each of them are so different. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they make, they've, well, they've helped to make me a more well-rounded person, I hope. Um, so my, my years in consulting, you know, you're, you're worried about getting projects done. You meet deadlines. You learn how to have a schedule, a budget, manage risk. Um, you, uh, learn how to deliver for somebody else and have lots of different types of bosses, right? So those are some of the things I learned in consulting. But at a utility, you just feel so much closer to the project and you feel closer to the customer, really, because um, the customer, the client, uh, they are the they are the public, they are the people you work for. And so every hour that you work, you feel like you need to make it so valuable because you know that that maybe they're struggling to pay their water bill or they're struggling to pay their sewer bill, um, and so you don't want to waste their time and their energy and their effort um, by you not being productive. And then when things are going wrong, uh, you take it really personally because you are the person who can change it, right? You work for the utility, you're, you're the quote unquote government. Um, and they see you all together, whether um, you're in the sewer portion of your utility or you're in the uh, transportation portion, they see you as the government. And so you need to be there to respond to them. And I think having that experience of learning that was really important. I also think something that I learned working at utility is there's just a larger group of diverse people that work at utilities, right? Um, when you work in consulting, um, th- there's a pretty um, a pretty normal format to the people that work in consulting, right? Most people went to college, most people, um, you know, studied uh, some form of environmental engineering. Engineering
0: it's very homogenous.
2: <laughs> it's pretty. It's pretty similar, right? um versus working at a utility um there's a really really diverse range of people right there are people right. who who maybe went to tech school who are operators there are people who are field maintenance people there are people right who maybe school. didn't go to college went straight right. from high school yeah and so uh, you just learn to to appreciate the value that everybody brings in a much
1: different in a much
2: broader way right
1: and sometimes and you're thing- literally in the hole with the 30 year veteran and the 3 day yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah they have so a range God, and experience
2: in, as well. Right. And you think you're this really smart engineer that can draw stuff up or use yeah. you know, Excel to calculate things. And they sit there in the field and they do it in their head or they're like, oh, no, I I fabricated this tool in right. my truck. And now I'm just yep. going to I'm just going to yeah. hinge this thing out real quick. And, yeah. you know, you would have spent four weeks trying to draw it out and then get it fabricated. <laughs> You know, grab a screwdriver or something, right? And so you learn to appreciate so much more about people. Also, the thing I felt like I learned a lot about when I was at the city was um, inequity. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, even in a city like Seattle that you think of as very like high tech and wealthy and, you know, the Amazons and Expedias and Microsofts, um, there's a lot of inequity that goes on and water has a really um, strong ability to affect that. Uh, for the positive generally like we can make our community so much better and one of my favorite people when I worked at the city um, was Steve Hamai he he ran the race and social justice in this initiative Mm -hmm. Um, and I've just learned a ton from him about reasons people don't call uh, the city when things go wrong I mean you know from my perspective you know I was pretty naive I thought like wow something's wrong something's overflowing like they're gonna call Right. Um, and he, you know, he really explained like, hey, there's a lot of reasons people don't
1: call, don't call right? right?
2: They're afraid of the government or, yeah. uh, you know, maybe they're not right. here legally. And so they right. feel like if they call that the, that ICE is going to show up. I mean, there are there's just right. so many reasons or they just get used to like, oh, well, this is just a problem I go with forever. Why would the city do anything about it now? Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so learning about those things was not something I could have learned from. Um, you know, just work, being in consulting, I had to experience it in a very different way. And I, and a couple examples where I felt like um, I really got to see it firsthand. One was we were looking at this area in Rainier Beach, um, which is a pretty underserved area in Seattle. And we were looking to raise um, sewer elevations, right? So we were gonna we were trying to solve a problem, and and to do it, we needed to store a little bit more water in the sewer. And so we were gonna raise the elevation to do that. Mm-hmm. Well. You know, to do that, it's pretty, um, it's pretty risky, right? Because the potential for backing up into people's homes um, certainly exists. And so we had to, I, you know, me and this other engineer, we had to physically go into people's residences, whether they're apartments or homes or, or basement apartments, um, and measure the height of their sewer, or sorry, measure the height of their toilets. Wow. and measure their floor drains. Mm-hmm. And I feel like you can't get more intimate than going into somebody else's house that you don't know and mm-hmm. touching their toilet. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's pretty, that's a pretty intimate experience.
1: I um, don't been,
0: want you in my house right now. I've been <laughs> there. I, for a completely different reason yes. on a completely different program, but yeah, it's uh that is an eye opener.
2: And it's really humbling too. Right. I mean, you know going into going into somebody's home you know maybe they don't feel like it's all cleaned up or like uh, yeah. oh you're the city you're coming into my house you know and and so that was a really valuable experience to learn about like you know how to communicate with them in a way that says hey like we're trying to do this to help and right. um you know how can we uh how can we learn more about you and about the struggles you're having it was an opportunity for us to ask questions about you know tell us about your experience working with um you know, SPU, what it what does that look like to you? Um and to learn something out of that. You know, another situation, I uh since I was running the CMOM program at the time, I had to deal um or I you know I had the opportunity to deal with a lot of uh, desperate phone calls related to sanitary sewer overflows. Um you know we would we would have, you know, when it rained pretty hard, we would get quite a few of those. Um and you have homeowners that would call and customers that would call and say, you know, what do I do? Like this is backing up into my home, like my bathroom is filled with sewage right now, or my basement is flooding. Hmm. Um, you know what do I do uh, and so to I, I think in those experiences, I've learned a lot about empathy and a lot about compassion. you know I, I think we could all picture our own home and having you know our first floor flooded with sewage and and feeling like what what do I do now? Who do I call yeah. Who, um, how do I get this cleaned up? How, how
1: do I burn my house? How down? do I
2: protect? <laughs> do I protect my family? I mean, all these things start to come into play, um, and so really, that opportunity to work at a utility, you just gain so much more compassion for disadvantaged and underserved communities. You you gain a lot of empathy because you really want to help, right? I mean, we're all people. We've we've all had tough times in our life, and you just see um, the need to help so much more. Um, and then as a as an employee, you want to go to um, your bosses and you want to go fight for those projects that are going to really help people, right? And so right. I had to learn ways that were influential to, um, you know, more political figures about why we need to solve this problem. It couldn't just be about how much money it costs. It had to be about more than, you know, yes, it costs this much money, but here the customers we're trying to serve and why it's important to, to do this. So.
0: Okay, so sometimes we can get caught up in our day-to-day and forget why we're here. And you've kind of talked about this a little bit in some of your experiences that you just talked about. So what can we do as utilities, engineers, consultants, like all of us in water to really remember our why? Um, You mentioned that doing a, a public education event with kids was a really powerful moment in your career. I think that was Waterpalooza. And you know we spent ten years doing those kinds of things, so we get it one hundred percent. but what made it powerful for you?
2: Well, you know one thing um one thing I think about is so I grew up you know kind of upper middle class i had I had every advantage i I really grew up in like a pretty we'll call it very white community. Um, there, was, <laughs> there was very little diversity in the community I grew up in, and so I just didn't have a lot of those experiences growing up. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't know a lot of the challenges and issues that other people were facing. I was very naive about it. Um, And so obviously, you know, starting to work at a utility, you know, I started to learn a little bit more um, about the inequities that people experience in in life and um, could have more compassion and could have more empathy for the situation. Um, And so, you know, one of the things that I wanted to get more involved with um, at WEF was the more the community service aspect that we, we bring and the student and professionals really lead in that area. I mean, we really value that um, both on a personal level and as an organization is to give back to the communities that we're a part of. Um, and so I got an opportunity to serve two years ago um, at Waterpalooza in Chicago. And what it is, is it's a community service event at a local school where we do water-based activities. And we have kind of a water fair for one day. And many, many organizations come and they set up little booths and they set up hands-on activities for the kids to participate in. And one of the things that I learned while I was at that event was, um, for those kids in the school that we served, it was the only opportunity they were going to have to learn about science and water yeah. that year. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that really impacted me. I, I couldn't believe that that was tr- was one was true, and, and then two that 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 would be a case for anybody. Um, and you know, how do we increase empathy for water and value of water? How do we bring more people into STEM education if if they're not even getting um, the opportunity as, a, as an elementary school student? So that really impacted me, and it was something that I wanted to bring back um, to my community here in Boise. And so my friend, um, Haley Faulkner, who actually started um, the WEF Waterpalooza event that's been going on for 10 plus years now, mm-hmm. um, partnered up with me and we decided we were gonna do one for our PNCWA conference here this fall. Um, and so in October uh, 2018, we did uh, uh, we did a Waterpalooza event, we called it Boise Waterpalooza, um, at this school called Taft Elementary, uh, which is in kind of the northern area of Boise. And uh, the principal there, Tim Lowe, uh, he's a fantastic principal. He cares so much about his students. Um, and when we put the call out to say, hey, we wanna do this at a school in the Boise School District, you know, who would like this? He was the first one to raise his hand. I mean, we barely got the email out and he had responded. Um, and one of the reasons that he had responded is um, his school is really, really underserved. Um, the teachers there do a phenomenal job and he does a phenomenal job, but they're they're just a part of a really challenging community there in the North end of Boise. Um, 99% of the students there um, get free lunch every day. So they also get breakfast as well. Um, 30% of the students are non-English speakers. Um, and it's not just, um, Spanish is the other language. It's dozens of other languages. Um, actually, most people don't know this about Boise, but Boise has a really strong refugee community um, because it's, uh, it, it has a lower cost of living, so it's easy entry into the country and for them to be successful. And so um, we have a number of Syrian refugees, Somali refugees, Um, Bosnian refugees from uh, back in the 90s. Um, And we love our refugees here in Boise. We will, you know, hashtag accept everyone here. Uh, We will will always love our refugees. And so this opportunity to serve at this school was really um, like personally valuable to me because of how much I care um, and to our community because I know our community loves refugees too. Um, And so we had over 15 organizations participate on the day. We had over 50 volunteers come out um, it, was, it was a little cold in the morning, but it was beautiful. Um, you know, it's, it's very sunny here in October. Um, and so we were able to do this activity outside. We had um, uh, members of the city, uh, Boise City Council show up um, and participate. Members from the uh, school district show up and participate and volunteer. Um, and it was great. It was an amazing experience to see these kids, these boys and girls who have an interest in STEM, who want to know about water um, and can be our future water leaders. Um, get this opportunity for this day Um, and the partnership that we're building with that school now can last long beyond uh, just this single event right you know we we may not be able to do this every single day um, but we can we can invest in our communities in so many different ways and so I think having an impact in your own community and and finding some way to serve um, other people is really important it helps you grow your your empathy your compassion your kindness for people um, and you know, I know we can't, we can't change everyone, um, but we can change a few people and we sure. can um, give some people an opportunity and I can do what, and I don't, I can do my part in that. It
1: creates that ripple effect. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I was inspired by somebody else to come and do this, mm-hmm. um, at a school. And so hopefully, you know, that will inspire somebody else to do yeah. that and somebody else to do that and somebody else to do that. And, you know, one, one of these days, one of these, you know, uh, girls or boys are going to be leading our city. Um, yeah. they're going to be leading maybe our country. Um, and to know that, you know, one day in October, um, you know, somebody else cared for them. I think that's, that's why it's just so impactful to me. Yeah.
0: Well, I love that you, cause you had shared with us about this event before, but you had never mentioned the diversity of Boise and that you have people kind of literally from all over the world. And so that just adds another element of value to it because The way that people see water here is not the way that people see water anywhere else or the way that we see government utilities that provide that water is not the way that they see it in other places of the world. So that's really like a great first step for these kids to understand um, how seriously it's taken by the men and women who are making sure it gets to them every single day. So I think that just
1: adds a whole new layer to it. So we saw that you were recently on the water online podcast or we heard, and that was an awesome interview and you've been really involved in with communications and uh, you mentioned your YP involvement. Um, Why is the YP community so important to the water industry and what are you losing by aging out of that community? And what are you going to do to fill that void?
2: Uh, Well, you're
1: getting old. (laughs)
2: <laughs> I know. I am. I really am. And and I realized it. I realized it this year I'm only saying right
1: that because I have three years.
2: <laughs> I realized that this year when I was at the YP WebTech meeting and I and I looked around and um there were a lot of um, professionals in their twenties there and I nice. suddenly felt very, very old. Um, you know I think there's I don't there's feel a, old at all. <laughs> well that's good. I'm young at heart. Um, there, you know, there's a pretty major gap in water professionals between 35 and 45. Um, a lot of folks our age went into more dot-com fields or computer-related fields or, or high-tech stuff. Um, and so not a lot of people were doing civil engineering. It wasn't the you know sexy career at the time. Um, and so there's just, frankly, not that many of us. And so the YP community is really important to me because the challenges we have are huge. I mean, the, the challenges that young professionals are going to have to solve moving forward are much harder than the ones in the past, right? A lot of the ones in the past were about, um, you know, cleaning up some pollution or preventing pollution, but we're actually going to have to reverse impacts. We're going to have to reverse it. We're going to have to remove it. Um, climate change is is a significant challenge that um, people who are young professionals right now are going to experience in a way that uh, our parents' generations haven't experienced. Um, and so we need uh, we need people to stay committed uh, to this field and and be a part of it um, we can't lose people we need and in fact we need to engage more people and this is not just engineers um, this is operators this is technicians this Is field workers this is communications professionals marketing professionals uh, there are so many people needed in order to advance um, the cause of water and the value of water that we we really can't lose people and so I want to focus on keeping those people in our industry, keeping them engaged, giving them exciting opportunities to do, ways to lead, to grow. I mean, this isn't something you just are able to one day pop out of school and then suddenly you're solving climate change, you know? It takes <laughs> oh, It takes decades of learning um, in a lot of different arenas and a lot of different fields how to communicate, how to speak technically um, when needed, how to speak non-technically when needed, um, and. And I just think sometimes we get hung up on like, oh, I want to be the, the CEO of this company or I want to be the uh, leader of this group or, or have all these titles in mind. Um, and gosh, I, I just, I want YPs to focus on impact, not on titles. I really, I think the only place um, for titles is to impress your mom, right? Like your mom gets impressed by your title, but really nobody else should, right? You should just focus like, on the impact that, that you can
0: have. What's what mean? What's that mean? My uh, title. Your title. C-O-O. See what?
2: <laughs> and and we just have a tendency to worry about these titles and advancements and um, you know maybe it's a maybe it's a part of the sort of Facebook Instagram generation that we have where we. You know, feel like we need to broadcast all the amazing achievements we have so that we can get a, a like on LinkedIn or whatever. But I, I just think if we spent more time focusing on our uh, on our impact to other people's lives and less on our own achievements or advancements, um, we really would, we really would uh, spend that time more valuably, I think. Um, but I also don't believe in the stereotypes. I think there's a lot of millennial stereotypes out there about, you know, laziness or... Um, you know, just wanting to ask for everything and get it now and have things fast. Um, and, and really every generation feels this way about the generation that follows it. So this is nothing new. Um, but man, millennials have already changed the world with social media. I mean, this is, you cannot, um, run for office without social media. Now Mm -hmm. you cannot, um, have a city that doesn't broadcast information without social media. Now I mean, this, this is already revolutionized, um, what, the what and how we do things, right? I mean, Mark Zuckerberg is a millennial, okay? So he, millennials are changing the planet. Um, social media has been responsible for overflowing, overthrowing governments at this point. Um, and so, you know, I always say like, why can't we revolutionize uh, water with, uh, with social media?
1: Yep. That's, Did you just read our mission off our wall? Literally <laughs> on our wall
0: right now.
2: Um, so I'm a strong proponent of Twitter. I love Twitter. I, it's the perfect amount of information for me to distill in my day. Yeah. Um, it's there when I need it. I can scroll through it fast. I can read it fast. I can see photos. I can keep connected with um, what's going on in water. I think it's an awesome communication tool. And and it's really digestible. So most people get it. Um, and so I love to teach other people about Twitter and how to use Twitter. Um, Especially in the water
0: industry. Yeah. Oh, Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah.
2: And it and it's so easy. It's really so easy. And we all have a phone. So really, there's not there's very little excuse to not knowing how to use Twitter and use it frequently at this point. Oh, well, um, yeah.
0: And that's where like the whole water industry is. And so, yeah. Um you know, keep touting that, especially to all your, your YP friends, because we've said that before. And sometimes we get the response of, well, I'm not really on Twitter. I'm on Instagram. And I'm like, okay, well, you're missing the point because the point is like, go to where your peeps are. And for whatever reason, that seems to be significantly on Twitter. So be on both, you know, and kind of stay in the know and make connections that way. I mean, we've literally met some of like the biggest names in the biz, Via Twitter, just by reaching out and making that connection.
1: So,
2: oh, yeah, I totally got a, you know, I got a shout out from the hawk, George Hawkins on Twitter. Yeah. And, and it was, you know, right. you're not allowed to
1: call him the hawk. That's just us. Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it was one of our best days. It was awesome. I, I felt like, wow, George Hawkins knows who I am. This, is, time this is great. So, nice
0: yeah. kind of like the bono and, you know, of water. So,
2: right. The bono of water. George yeah. Hawkins or, yeah. or Travis loop as I know him as, as Travi.
0: Was, yeah. We 100. Yep. We also, um, Still lovingly him call him. He just said it. Oh. Um, I said what,
2: Travi, right? Travi,
0: yeah. That's what we call him too. He's so, kind of a
2: big deal. Right?
0: Uh, he kind of is deal. the big deal. That's yeah. a gym
2: class hero reference for all you millennials
0: out there. Oh, shout out. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm, I'm really glad that you touched about the whole, The whole titles thing because, you know, like one of my favorite John Lennon lyrics is life is what happens when you're busy making other plans. You never know what twist or turn life is going to take you down. And if you can't let go of or if you can't allow your definition of success to evolve with what life throws at you, then you're just always going to be questioning your success. And so just to like not put your success in a title, but put it in an impact. That was a, that was a great summary for that. Um, that you said, so I'm just throwing it back at you. But um, another one of our favorite takeaways in our conversations with you is the way you view competition. Um, one thing that we found in our own journey with Rogue Water is how well we complement. Other people out there that are trying to do the same thing that we are and our experience similar to yours has felt like We've been building a network and a team and like never like a competition right. So you preach this idea of competing on ideas and not people. So Ooh. can you go a little bit more into that?
2: Yeah, I mean and this is something that I feel like um, You know has grown or developed over time for me. I mean, I I think uh, you know, when you work in consulting, there's a lot of win-lose, win, win lose. there's a lot of bottom line. Um, you know, there's a lot of concern about, you know, how many people, um, you know, do we have? Can we sustain, do we have the work to sustain the people we have? Um, and so the feelings about, you know, wins and losses on projects um, are really important, right? Um, but one of the things that I've started to feel like lately is um, that I'm just not going to worry about competing with people. And and one of the reasons is because I have so many friends in the industry. Um, A a lot of times we're competing against one another, Um, and you know we can make this into like sports, and you know somebody has to win, somebody has to lose, and um, and yet I'm not sure that that always is the is the best value for the communities that we serve, right? Mm -hmm. I I think what we should be worried about is who has the best idea, who is the idea that's going to move uh, the needle on impacting this community in a positive way Mm -hmm. and what um what way today can we make this um this world a better place right and so if you compete on the ideas around those things Mm -hmm. it's so much less personal right and and really it's not personal anyways this is always a it's a profession um and it's meant to be that way Mm -hmm. Um, and so it's not really about you it's not really personal anyways um, but we can take these things very personally and we can sure. compete in a very personal way. But if it's an idea that sort of removes the person from it, right. right. Um, because that idea is to benefit other people, not to benefit yourself. Right. And, and along these same lines, um, there's a question that often gets asked, right? Like, where do you want to be in five years or 20 years? Or what do you want to be? You want to be the leader of this or president of that, or, um, you know, fancy title Y or X, um. But I think again, just getting back to focusing on what impact do I want to have and who do I want to help, and if that is your if that is your focus, um, you will always do the right thing, right? If if you can ask yourself, who can I serve today? How can I show more empathy mm-hmm. Then those titles, those roles? They're going to come. You right. don't have to worry about that stuff, and and frankly, it won't matter when it does. Um, and you know, when it, when you get a new title, you can tell your mom and she'll be impressed for you. Um, <laughs> But you can feel better about, hey, who I served today or who I was empathic to today or who I cared about and how did I help them. And it doesn't have to be broadcast on Twitter or Instagram or LinkedIn. Um, They'll know it and they'll know that personal impact that you carry uh, cared for them. Um, And frankly, in my own career and the way that I described it, um, I never could have charted this path anyways. I, I don't really think anybody else could have charted this for me. Um, and that'd be really actually, it'd be pretty boring if there was a script to yeah. how my career played out. Yeah. Um, and so if I worried about all the titles and leadership roles that I wanted to have, um, I feel like that would have, that would have led me down a script that I didn't want to follow. Um, and so it, you know, in whatever way that I can serve my community, whatever way that I can serve the company I'm working for, the organizations that I volunteer for, uh, that's what I want to spend my time on. That's where I want to spend my focus.
1: And I love that you can, Take this, like, we're not just talking from company to company. We're talking even within, you know, department to department and team members within themselves. Because that's something that we found, you know, to be a hardship and something you have to deal with internally, too, is competing ideas within your departments or um, within your your own organization. And when you take that pressure off um, and not make it personal, then that's when the real impact can actually happen.
2: Yeah. And as a young professional, you don't have to worry about, you know, uh, you know, having, having the title to have the idea, you can just have the idea. And you know, maybe nobody else likes it. Well, that's okay. It still doesn't mean it's a bad idea. It's just maybe not the right one for now. And you can yeah. keep trying and you can keep developing it. Um, and so that that part of being a young professional, I think, is, is really valuable.
0: So I think a really good point that you made was that you are open to saying yes. And when you say yes, that gives you, you know, your journey, the ability to be so flexible and to take you in a ton of different directions. So
2: Yeah, and that advice actually came from a really good friend of mine, Mark Poling, um, who's on the, on the left board and works yeah. for Clean Water Services. Yeah, you guys probably know Mark. We like Mark. Yeah, but he—he uh, uh, he used to be the president of. P- he is very tall. He's like twelve feet tall.
1: And I'm like um, but when, two, so it's when he was the
2: uh, president of the board for PNCWA, and he gave his kind of closing remarks, he said, um, "He said, when you're asked to serve, just say yes." I love it. And uh, he left it at that, and I've carried that with me uh, ever since. I think yeah, it's great. It's a great advice for anyone.
1: Well, let's talk the value of water for a minute. Um, the public has no understanding of the value proposition of water utilities, and it's repeatedly in the top five biggest issues facing the industry, according to AWWA's, um, help me with the acronym, State of the, U- State of the Water Industry, the S- SOTWI. SOTWI. So you're an engineer, and engineers are innate problem solvers. So how do we solve this problem, Mr. Engineer?
2: Well, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure it's an engineering solution for one thing. I mean, we do have Matt Damon. We do have Matt Damon, though, but it's-, <laughs>
1: it's, it's, it's We're
0: only one step removed from him.
2: Um, so I, it, maybe it's not celebrity uh, either, but uh, you know, if Matt Damon does want to come to Boise and talk about water, I, I'm happy to help organize that. So just, you know, connect me with Matt we Damon. Great. Um, but I think, you know, we need to demonstrate value of water with, with much stronger messaging on on both city and statewide scales. Um, and bring in that local focus or that local flavor to it. I think it it takes a lot of personal engagement from people who know enough about water um, to go and ask the right questions, right? And so you need to vote and you need to engage with leaders in discussions about water. I think we've all seen the impact of voting as um as a way to change things. I think you can be a part of festivals or community events that are associated with water. Um, here in Boise we love our river. We do things all the time around our river. All of our parks are situated around our river. We talk about water in its various forms all the time. It snows here, it's beautiful. We have skiing. We can talk about water in that way. Um, we have lots of water sports like paddleboarding or boating or lakes and rivers. We can talk about water in that way. Um, we all enjoy the natural environment that comes around having a river. Uh, There are tons of ways to talk about water and why we need to protect it in a way that uh, uh, speaks to more people than just, you know, did we digest that sludge the right way, right? Um, I think we can inundate people with social media. I think the social media message is so easy to get out there um, and one that is really effective. I mean, you see the impact of um, political campaigns during social, on social media, right? And the inundation that they provide and people are like, ah, oh, I can't stand another political ad. I would love to hear somebody say, ah, oh, I, I can't stand to hear about the value of water again. Right. That's when we know, know that. we're there. Right. That
0: one's accepted.
1: Yeah.
2: <laughs> and, and I think WEF and AWWA participate in a number of really, um, exciting days throughout the year that we can, um, we can participate in as individuals, as cities, as companies, um there, you know, imagine a day without water, World Toilet Day, um, WEF has the Water's Worth It campaign with tons of social media and other forms of uh communications tools to provide. I think, you know, one thing that um I see a lot on Twitter is the wipes aren't flushable stuff and you know, pictures of these huge uh white balls. Um and so, you know, to my friends out there who are fighting the wipes battle, I think, you know, that's one that's worth fighting, right? Because that's um that's fighting everybody showing that's fighting
1: and, and showing the problems it's creating because that's and, that's what's impactful and it's also fun to talk about poop yeah
2: it's it's it is fun to talk about poop um, it's fun think, to talk about all the things around poop wipes and toilets and oh
0: yeah well fun in the fact that it's like taboo so people like pay attention and they'll retweet it like i saw this one tweet that um
1: northeast ohio
0: Yeah, they did around Thanksgiving and it had like over like a thousand retweets or something like that. So, I mean, use what
2: works. I mean, the other ways I think we solve this problem is we really need to highlight more successes in our industry. I think it's really easy for us to to be taken for granted and forgotten um, because people really only remember their their toilet when it doesn't work or they remember their water when it's not clean and they can't drink it um, and so we need to be constantly reminding of all the successes that we have in our industry we need to stop using as much jargon I mean we love our acronyms mm-hmm. and our jargon and our technical terms mm-hmm. and and I think for a time we used that to avoid having real conversations about things oh, right yeah. like we use jargon to scare people away so that they didn't ask questions about their That's rate.
1: what the state says they have to say I have to use this legalistic language no one understands <laughs>
2: Yeah. And so we can educate with words and with concepts that people are are much better at understanding than our industry jargon.
1: Yeah. And I think one way we can do this is the good old fashioned grassroots efforts. I think that's really what's going to make the impact because I mean, I've, I've seen cities do this and, um, one of our, you know, our mentor, Greg, he went before we ever even left the city, he's talking about, you know, Rogue Water is going to be fine. You guys are going to be great. You, you're going to make, um, you're going to build relationships one person at a time. It's going to be long. It's going to be slow. But it's going to be one genuinely, you know, built relationships one person at a time. And I think that, I think he's able to give that advice because that's what he's doing at Saws. You know, they're going to one, one um, location, one brewery, one coffee house, one event, one thing at a time and genuinely building relationships one person at a time. I think that's, an element that, that a lot of cities don't take advantage of just yet.
0: Go ahead.
2: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) We both want to say something. Um, I think, you know, the way we do that and the way we reach more people then is to have more people in the industry, right? We need operators, field support staff, administrative professionals, HR professionals, engineers, consultants, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Um, all trying to reach one person right so that just speaks to the need for more people in our industry
1: yeah a lot more ambassadors within our own within our own industry and i was just gonna say that
0: in terms of behavior change it doesn't happen overnight um i think seth godin had a really amazing um podcast episode that talked about behavior change and how it's so easy to get frustrated when you're the one that's trying to do it because it just it takes such a long time. And, um, you know, Greg also talks about ways to keep his group and staff motivated along the way and to find the successes to celebrate. Um, because our industry is so very heavily engineer based and there's nothing wrong with that because, you know, engineers have this innate ability so yeah, to, to problem solve. But it's very project based, you know, so there's a problem. I have this project to create a solution, solution done, move to the next project. But communication isn't a project, it's a relationship and that takes time and it takes patience. And so it's just for all of us out there who are trying to make that change and to have that revolution, we have to keep that in mind,
1: too.
2: Yeah, and I think we'll know that we have solved this problem um, when you cannot have a, a political platform yeah. uh, that doesn't talk about water,
1: uh, right? I mean, uh, I, yes. I mean,
2: right? Like right now, if you do not talk about healthcare, employment, Medicare, military, uh, you are you, you you're getting no yeah. airtime, right? Mm-hmm. I want that the same for water, regardless uh, of party, regardless of uh, whatever's going on. I want every platform to have to have a conversation about water and its value. Um, and the importance of utilities. Heck
0: yes. And this is why I feel like we kind of became such close friends so quickly because, like, I said that exact thing at Catalyst uh, this year, and because someone was like, someone asked that question. Well, how do we know when we've when we've made it? And I said the exact same thing. Like, that's when we will know that it's a priority in this country when you have no choice but to have that on your platform. So, one hundred percent.
2: Yeah. And when retailers have to change the way that they either make their product, produce their product or sell their product to help show the value of water too. Right. By highlighting, Hey, we have this really innovative way that uses X percent less water or because we do this, we're not um, impacting the environment or those kinds of things. So I think it's your vote and it's your wallet uh, on a personal level that are going to help solve the value of water challenge.
0: Preach it. So we're both music fans, you and I, um, what is your rallying cry for water nerds? Like, what song do they need to blast this morning on their way to work after they hear this podcast?
2: Okay, well, this is, I mean, this is a pretty intense question. I, I am a pretty big music lover, and I love a pretty wide range of of music. So um, I guess I'll let everybody judge my taste this morning, I suppose. Um, but I was in high school, kind of in the late 90s, when kind of pop punk became Really popular.
0: Yes, I already love um, it that you went the punk route.
2: <laughs> I do. I i do. Um and but it's the pop punk route, right? So okay. that's
1: fine. Um, I think me too, Thanks.
2: I think, you know, two songs you could totally blast this morning. Um, You Found Hit or Miss. I think
1: yeah. that's, a, that's a
2: classic. Yes.
1: Um, and 100%. then maybe
2: a little less known song, Some 41's Fat Lip. Ooh, that's another.
0: 41. Um, yeah. Another super, Super they were song. on mtv they're considered pop too
2: okay cool i went i went to concerts for both of them when i was a kid um, and lost my shoes at both so it's definitely a memorable experience uh, but you know i think something more popular today i think if you uh like hamilton you should rock uh wrote my way out as oh, often yeah. as you can yeah and i personally like the uh the Nas, lin-manuel moran uh, version.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, the uh, Hamilton mixtape version. Sure to yeah. check that out. Yeah. Good. Yeah. That. And if um, I was gonna
2: pump a local Boise band, I would say you could rock Magic Sword. Ooh. It's got no words, so it's totally appropriate for for
1: all rocking out anywhere. Yeah. Great. Nice. It. Okay. So, what's your favorite book right now that you can recommend to all of us?
2: Okay. I, you know, I I can't just give one. It's I have. Like no I have no three. I have. I'm hashtag includer. I can't help it. Right. I have three. <laughs> <laughs> um
0: <laughs> everything Even comes with in
2: books. threes right everything <laughs> goes in threes i mean um, the
0: best things do yeah.
2: so i feel like the the three books that i that have really helped shape um kind of my thinking about a lot of either career issues or life issues or my personal values are uh happiness advantage by uh sean Ancher, uh drive by daniel pink and start with why um by simon sinek um, and you know, if you want to read a whole book, they all have books, but they also all have Ted talks. So there are lots of ways to, um, learn about these concepts. Um, and I think whatever works for you, uh, you should do, but those are three that I like a lot.
0: And drive is also a fantastic song by incubus. That is also about taking accountability for your journey. <laughs>
1: oh boy. We're going to have to wrap this up because music is going to take over. Okay. What's something you do every day that drives your productivity? Besides um, listen well,
2: to music. Well, I listen to music. Um, <laughs> no, but I uh um I actually get an opportunity I get the opportunity to bike to work almost every day. Um and so that really kind of gets me going in the morning. I like it. Um it also helps me settle my day. Um that's an that's you know, thirty minutes twice, uh that no one can bug me. I can't look at my mm-hmm. phone. I I have to be disconnected from things. It kind of gives my mind a chance to yeah. Uh, do its own thing. My limit uh, is kind of twenty degrees, so mm. anything anything less than twenty degrees, I don't wow. really bike in. Uh, so this My limit time of year, seventy
1: five. <laughs>
2: <laughs> this time of year, it's a little harder to bike every day, but I, mm. I still try and do it as much as I can. Mm. Um, and the other thing is, I I use paper notes, so I have um, I think there's like really strong linkages between uh, writing, remembering, and assimilating information, and so yes. I, um, as much as I think. We've moved to like a lot more digital stuff. I still love my paper notebooks, um, and I do kind of a version that's like modified bullet journaling. If you if you go on Pinterest and you look at bullet bullet journaling, it's a huge rabbit hole to go. That's follow. right.
1: He said, "Go on Pinterest, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen." We've got a um, real man in the house. That is
2: that is not what I love do. It. By the way, I don't I don't do what's on Pinterest. Um, own it, just, brother. Own it. <laughs> but I just put page numbers on all the pages. When I get a new mo- notebook, I put an index in the front. And then I start a bunch of action lists. And uh, and so I like to check things off uh, from my action lists. Um, I like to index things so I can go back and find my notes. And I'm not always searching for what day was that thing taken on. Um, And then I also find the thinnest possible notebook I can find so that I actually bring it with me places, right? Because sometimes that's the, that's the reason, ah, my notebook's too big. I can't, I can't bring it, but I just go find really small ones that can fit my pocket or, or do whatever. And then I decorate them when I put stickers on the front to make me happy. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. (laughs) And some people don't steal them. I put stickers on that, like maybe somebody else wouldn't identify with so that they don't take my notebook. So, yes.
0: So what you're saying is that Rogue Water needs to create some um stickers, stickers so that you can put and those on journals. your yeah, Absolutely. small journals. Yes. That's what I'm
2: missing journal. right now. I don't have a Rogue Water sticker.
0: Okay, okay. well noted. We'll Challenge work on accepted. that. Yes. Or
2: water or water in real life podcast sticker. So. Oh,
0: that
1: guy too. Golly.
0: Okay. Wow. Add that to the action item list, Arian. <clears throat> All right. So, you know, in our line of work. Me and Ariane have had people tell us, well, you know, it doesn't matter if I make a change because I'm just one person. So it's not going to make a difference if I do. But obviously, we wholeheartedly disagree with that. We think that one person making a positive change can be contagious and inspire others to make uh, the change as well. So what is the call to action that you're most passionate about that you believe could ultimately change the world?
2: Well, I mean, for me personally, I have I have three values that I really try and live every day, and that's to be kind, um, to have empathy, and to be genuine. Um, and I really feel like, like people aren't going to remember what you said, but they're going to really remember how you made them feel. And yeah. so, by living out those values for me, I think you can have a huge impact um, in somebody's life every single day. And so, I guess my call to action for people would be to um, would be to go and find somebody you can serve every day who who can't serve you back, who doesn't have the ability to benefit you in any way, um, because that's a way to give back. And then to go tell you know, five people how much you appreciate them. I think that's something that we just, we don't have enough of in this world is um, telling people how we appreciate them, um, doing it out of nowhere when they yeah. don't expect it. Um, and just think about if everyone did this, all the empathy that would be created um, from that. Whether that's in our own industry, our own families, outside of that. Um, so I think that's another way to do it. Um, and then, you know, as my friend uh, Jenny Hartfelder said at, at, at WebTech, she said, you know, the most important thing in life is to be yourself. So be genuine. Um, but unless unless you can be Batman instead, and then you should always <laughs> be Batman. Maybe so Batman. I guess um, be genuine unless you get the chance to be Batman. So. Which, yeah, yeah, I
0: agree with that. I mean- yeah. I mean, I don't know if I would say Batman. I would definitely be Wonder Woman. She's my jam. Mm. So sorry, Batman.
2: Or Batgirl. Batman, Girl. Batgirl. Yeah. Wonder Woman. All good. Um, all good choices.
1: I have a little um okay, so you said something you you want to make them people remember how you make them feel. And that just spurred my like memory of Kendall Haven talking about like that's the how that's how you start writing a story. So anyone listening to the very end want to know how do i become a storyteller that same thing that dragon shots just said how do you want them to feel first and then write your story and then talk about that so that was like exciting that you said that because that i don't know it just made me think it's
0: been a joy for us to have this friendship with you and we're glad that we get to share that with um the rest of the world, the rest of the world. so um yeah, we see. appreciate you and everything that you're doing in your corner of the world and uh hopefully we get to see you at um another wef event
2: I hope so come join us be part of our family
1: always
0: we hope you enjoyed the episode today we truly truly this the best part of our jobs is is recording these episodes for you guys we really hope that you enjoy them as much as we enjoy making them for you uh to catalyst really quick if you have not registered please do so we are halfway full in terms of registration what are you waiting for We have less than 35 spots available, so get on it. Catalyst takes place June 19th through the 21st in San Antonio, Texas on the beautiful Riverwalk. You can sign up today or get more information and see who we've got speaking at roguewatergroup.com forward slash catalyst. Registration is only $70 until April 1st, and we're getting a great block rate from the hotel want to give a shout out to our incredible Catalyst 2019 sponsors, San Antonio Water System, Texas AWWA, the Water Environment Association of Texas, Lower Colorado River Authority, Alliance for Water Efficiency, 120 Water Audit, and Dallas Water Conservation. If you or your organization would like to sponsor the most rogue water summit around, you can also visit roguewatergroup.com forward slash catalyst for more information on that as well. Before we go, we just want to remind you to sign up for the Water Nerd newsletter at theh2duo.com forward slash newsletter. We want to keep in touch, and we want to make sure that you are the first to know about any and all the resources that we release, including these podcasts. We hope to see you at Catalyst this year, and we hope to see you next Monday when our latest podcast episode drops. Until then, remember what one of our favorite quotes says, those who tell the stories rule the world.